Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sample Size, the only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Cameron Buzar-Jamiri. All right, Sam. So I heard a thing that we're, we're going to do today based on last week's uh, last week's episode having to do with vaccines. And uh, I, don't, I don't know where this bit is. <laughs> this bit is nothing. There was a lot of us in that. But yeah, you're right. Me trying to find <laughs> something funny to make a joke. And oh. it just went into the ground. Oh, no. Uh, I, uh, I'll find it. Uh, I guess a joke will happen sometime. Okay, we need to stop lingering on this. All right. <laughs> yes, this is vaccines part two. You're right. So everyone listening, please listen to last week. First of all, <laughs> you should listen to all our episodes. But this is going to go into some of the stuff we went into last week, because last week we were talking about the COVID-19 vaccine trials. And there were some things about vaccines that I didn't get to explain as much as I wanted to. So that is where this week's episode comes in. Okay, and remind us what specifically about it you wanted to discuss. Yes, so what I want to discuss this week specifically is I want to go into herd immunity, what that is, what that term actually means. And I also talked about vaccine effectiveness last week, so I want to go into that a little bit also. And we may just cover a general topic of how do vaccines work? How does the immune system work? Stuff like that. All right, I'm ready. Let's do this. (laughs) All right, yes, so this is kind of a different episode from normal because there's no real news article associated with it. But, you know, this is very hot topic. These terms are just flying in news stories constantly. Just to be clear, because there's not a specific article that covers all these things doesn't mean there aren't plenty of other articles that try to explain this. There's there's plenty of sources. Don't worry about that bit. Oh, yeah. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, I don't know, where were we six episodes in? I kind, I'm kind of breaking our mold a little bit. <laughs> mm, yes. The, the telltale sign of a failing podcast. <laughs> I'm looking out the that. window and seeing two of the engines already going down on this judge. No. Okay. Okay. All right. So let me explain herd immunity and the importance of it. Herd immunity? No, I was just, I was just the, emphasizing is, it for, is that the joke? for the listeners. Oh my gosh. So herd immunity occurs when a large proportion of a population is immune to a disease such that when a person in the population gets infected with that disease, it doesn't spread rapidly to everyone else. And so you can kind of think of this concept through a popular graphic I see online, but here's the best way I find to explain it. Imagine you have a grid of ping pong balls and they are like all white. So just imagine like a large square filled with tons of ping pong balls, alls in rows and columns. Okay. Right. And then in like the lower left hand corner, you have one ping pong ball that is red. Okay. So in a not herd immunity situation, what happens is when that red ping pong ball touches any of the white ping pong balls, all the white ones then turn red. So imagine you just like tap your finger and the red one that's in the lower left hand corner, it touches three other white ping pong balls and then they bounce and they touch other white ping pong balls and turn red and soon enough your entire square is filled with red ping pong balls instead of white ones. Okay. All right. That is a population that does not have herd immunity. So you have that one red ping pong ball, which is an affected person. It went out and got in contact with other non-infected people 
and now your entire population is infected and has caught the disease. Okay, so now all the ping pong balls have a rash. Yes, all of them have a rash, correct. Okay, this is gross. All right, so what does that have to do with herd immunity? All right, now I'm going to describe a herd immunity situation. Now, let's say instead of that square filled with all the white ping pong balls, let's say like half, 75% of them are now green. So you have a mixture of white ping pong balls and green ping pong balls, and you still have that one red one in the lower left-hand corner. Mm -hmm. So now when you tap that red one that's in the lower corner, it'll hit the white and green balls. When it hits a white ball, same thing happens. The white one's going to turn red. It's going to go out and hit other balls. But when it hits a green ball, the green ball stays green. It doesn't change colors. It doesn't become red. And that's showing how that person didn't get infected because they were immune to the disease. I I guess I can just say this is the best. Like I listen to a lot of science podcasts and stuff. (laughs) This is the best metaphor for herd immunity I've ever heard. And we're like not even in the thick of it. Go. Yes. So now, unlike the other situation where you had one red ball in the lower corner hitting all the white balls and then all of them turning red, now you have all these green balls that are in the mix. So it stops that. You only have a few of the white balls turning red. You have a bunch of green balls that aren't turning red. And then when everything's done, you'll also still have some white balls that are like hidden amongst the green balls that are not red. So now your population has a mixture of red balls, infected people, green balls, immune people and white balls, non-infected people that never got in contact with the disease. Mm -hmm. So that is your herd immunity example. So it's when you have a population where enough of the population is immune to the disease, then you have those people do not get the infection and thus they stop the spread of a disease throughout the population. Yeah. And then there's like one step further, right? Because you could have yellow balls, which can't even get the vaccine. So those yellow balls need to be protected from the disease. Otherwise, they're super screwed. And so you have all these green balls around them. So even if the red tries to get close, they can't because there's too much green. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of what I was describing with the like white, some white balls that are in the population that aren't green yet. But But yeah. But in my example, the yellow balls... are slightly different than okay. the white balls. All right. So it's my... No, but my point for the yellow balls was to say there are people who can't get immunity to the disease mm-hmm. without just getting the disease because they the things like a vaccine might not work on them. And I'm sure you're about to talk about this. I was going to say, what a great segue into the importance of vaccines. So one, vaccines, they help create herd immunity. Wait, I've heard of it. Okay, there it is. And there's There the was joke. no payoff necessary. All right. Okay, so vaccines create herd immunity. If enough people in the population are vaccinated, then as I said, the disease can't spread through the population and eventually it'll die out. So smallpox is a great example of this. It was actually eradicated from the world because of an aggressive vaccination campaign. And measles was getting close to it. Polio is very close. It's only in a couple of other countries left. Measles, the numbers have been rising because the anti-vaxxer movement started rising. But the point being that like vaccines, they help create herd immunity. And yes, there are some people in the population that they cannot get vaccines. They can't get them because like their bodies just won't cooperate with them. They may be allergic to some of the ingredients in it. For example, the flu vaccine, it's grown in eggshells. So people that are allergic to eggs, you can't get the flu vaccine. And there's also like age restrictions. You have really young babies, you have some older people, some people with immune problems, they also can't get vaccines. So it really is on the duty of everyone in the population that can get a vaccine to do that so that you are protecting those people from the disease. Okay, I can see why dis-ease complicated. That was a pun. What? 
Dis-ease complicated? No, I'm... Cut this. Cut this whole thing. No, no, this is staying. (laughs) You gotta stay with that. I thought, oh my gosh, I thought we were gonna have some like profound contribution. No, it was a pun. It was a disease pun. All right. I need to give a little setup for this. Before this, I told Sam I was gonna make a bad joke and I wanted to do the like herd immunity one to throw her off before I made another one. And you know what? I stand by it. I'm proud of my joke. It was, it was good. Uh. It was fine. All right. But yeah, there are a ton of different vaccines. It's crazy because they're not even like, it's not like it protects you from the whole virus. It just protects you from that one strain of the virus, right? Because viruses mutate all the time. So the code that your body uses to identify it doesn't work between the actual virus strains and the specific vaccine. Yeah. And some viruses mutate more than others. I'm going to keep using the flu. It's always a great example. The flu virus, it mutates like crazy. And there's a lot of strains out there. So the flu vaccine, it's not always as effective as the other vaccines, mainly for that reason, because every year when the seasonal flu comes along, they actually predict what strains are going to be most prominent. And from that prediction, those are the ones that they include in the vaccine. And actually, now that I'm mentioning that, we can go into another topic I wanted to talk about, which was what is vaccine effectiveness? Because I realized last week I was saying how the COVID vaccine to be approved by the FDA, it needs at least a 50% effectiveness. So what actually is that? What am I actually talking about? Okay, so there's actually vaccine efficacy and vaccine effectiveness. And efficacy is the difference in control and treatment groups in a randomized control trial. And so just to be clear, that's efficacy, E-F-F-I-C-A-C-Y? Yes. I don't know how to spell. E-F-F-I-C-A-C-Y, not E-F-F-Activeness. <laughs> okay. No, I, yes. first it sounded like a th, so I want to make sure it was a th. Yes. So again, efficacy is the difference in control and treatment groups in a randomized control trial. And in the case of vaccines, this would be you have the difference between the group that actually received the vaccine and the group that received a placebo and did not receive it. So the difference in who actually caught the virus and who didn't. That's efficacy. Effectiveness is when you apply that into the real world scenario. So then that's okay. The vaccine is out there in the public. It's being given to everyone in the population. And then you can measure like how many people are actually still catching the disease in the vaccinated and unvaccinated populations. Okay. That that seems like important stuff to know about a vaccine, especially if you want to make sure it's not killing people. Yes, it's very important. And just to have some comparison, because that's really the way I like to think of things. So if you know the MMR vaccine, that's the measles, mumps, and rubella one. Mm-hmm. Mer. The mer. Yes, it is very effective. It's actually after just one dose, it's 93% effective against measles, 78% effective against mumps, and 97% effective against rubella. And those numbers go up after having two doses of it. Okay. And then I talked about the flu vaccine. That's like a 40 to 60% effectiveness. Okay. You know, another example, the Tdap, that's tetanus and diphtheria and pertussis. Okay. I don't know what two of those are. (laughs) 
And I've only heard of the third one. <laughs> All right. So pertussis is whooping cough also. Okay. Diphtheria is another childhood disease that I okay. forget exactly of. They are combined with the tetanus vaccination. Tetanus, you probably remember, it's usually advised that you get that every 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's when you like step on a rusty nail, then mm-hmm. you get tetanus and it's not bad. You kind of get paralyzed. Yeah. So not awesome. Yeah. It's not awesome. So that's like a 95% effectiveness, pretty much. Okay. And again, the effectiveness means for the people who are getting it, like out of 100 people, 95% of them are now immune to the disease or at least have a specific strain. Yeah. I would say it as out of 100 people that were vaccinated, 95 of them did not get the disease at all. Okay. Yeah. And when you say 95%, what you're saying is out of 100 people who could have been exposed to the disease, 95 of them wouldn't end up getting it because they're immune, functionally immune. Yes. Okay. Biology. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That is a good way to put that. Probably another thing I kind of mentioned last week, important to remember, vaccines, a lot of times you'll have multiple doses of them throughout your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So I think I mentioned how the COVID-19 vaccines, it looks like it's going to be two doses about a month apart. So you have other vaccines that anyone who's ever gotten childhood vaccines, they probably remember this. It's like you got vaccines, you know, when you're entering like kindergarten and then you got some when you're entering like, I don't know, third or fourth grade. And then again, like in middle school and high school. Yeah. And the the reason for that is because in a weird way, your body will just forget diseases. This might actually be a good segue to understanding how vaccines work. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I could. Yes. I'm kind of going into how vaccines work. Uh-huh. <laughs> I called it this time. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. So how vaccines work is that the vaccine contains particles and broken up parts of a virus. They are injected into your body, exposed to your immune system. Your immune system identifies those objects as foreign. They mark them. They destroy them. They do all the good immune system stuff that happens. They also create antibodies to those virus particles. That's a part of your immune system is a process of creating antibodies to flag these particles and destroy them. So your body has a thing that when it creates antibodies, it then in a way kind of saves some of them and it remembers them. Those are memory cells, right? Yes. So actually, this is this is one of the things I always find fascinating because this is you always think of like the the anthropomorphized like, oh, look, it's the cells at work or it's Osmosis Jones. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a buddy cop drama. (laughs) But it's actually like a weirdly mechanical process. Like everything about it is COVID-19's vaccine is probably going to have the disease in some form just mushed up and blended to the point where the literal disease itself, just like bits of the protein shell are just left there in a state that it is not, ideally it cannot infect you and make you sick. Yeah. But at the same time, your body is able to detect the shape of the protein shell and be like, okay, if something shows up and it looks like this or has this feature to it, it's probably bad and we should probably do something about it. And then your body build creates antibodies, which are able to identify and latch on to this specific shape. Mm-hmm. And your body, the the machinery, the blueprints that make those antibodies are able to persist in the form of memory cells, right? Yeah. So that in the future, when your body sees these, like you have these little antibodies technically floating around inside you all the time. And when they run into this and say, all right, we're going to start latching onto these because we're starting to see this thing that we've seen before. But now those memory cells are like, all right, we're actually already set up to produce this thing. It's like a car factory that knows exactly how to make Ford Fiestas perfectly. <laughs> like no one needed this, but this factory
victory stood derelict until the aliens invaded. For some reason, the Ford Fiesta was their one weakness. And going to your factory example, you can think of it like if you have a completely new product, it takes a while to develop a prototype of something. But once you've developed that prototype, you know, the next time someone orders something, oh, it's easy. We have all the blueprints here. We can just, you know, whip this up. Oh, get out the door a lot faster. That's basically what your body does with antibodies and diseases. But that's also a really good example of how vaccines work because vaccines are a product. And even if we do figure out a vaccine, it takes a while before we can wind up the actual machinery, the actual biological process of growing and shredding and all the things I'm sure you're about to talk about for how we make and actually handle vaccines. The stuff that we actually did talk about in our last episode. I was going to say, I wasn't going to go into how vaccines are actually made, made, but. I mean, like we covered how they work, but like you mentioned how a lot of people can't get influenza vaccine because they grow it in eggs. And it's literally because they take the egg whites and use it as a medium to grow more influenza virus that they then, for lack of a better word, mix up and shred, I guess. Yeah, that's actually the best way to say that. Yeah, they like basically run it through a centrifuge that completely blends it into oblivion so that it's not actually a functional virus anymore. But it's also problematic because when you inject it and it's still in that egg slurry, the exact same system you're hoping your body will use to identify and fight off the influenza is the same part of your body that's going to overreact to the the presence of the egg white and start attacking it, causing a allergic reaction. Yes. Something more affirming, please. (laughs) I'm sorry. I kind of got lost in the whole segue, but it's actually funny you bring up the flu vaccine. This is going to get into another corner of how vaccines work is that when you understand how vaccines work and how your body handles it, they then become kind of less scary and you can think through things more. Flu vaccine, for example, a lot of people don't get the flu vaccine because they think it makes them sick. And I kind of want to talk about that for a moment because the flu vaccine, it doesn't have live particles in it. So the actual vaccine part isn't there making your body sick. People have gotten sick before from getting the flu vaccine, but that is like in pretty much one, two cases. One, you already had the flu, you were exposed to it. You got the flu vaccine and it just didn't take hold in time because you were already exposed to the flu virus. So you then test positive for flu and you got the flu. All right. Another scenario is that so you get a vaccine, your immune system starts working. You may then actually develop symptoms from that symptoms of your immune system working. Yeah. So you could also be seeing that and it wouldn't be the same thing as saying, oh, I have the flu. And a third important thing about how vaccines work and especially related to the flu vaccine, because again, with the this kind of goes back into the effectiveness talk, but with the flu vaccine in particular, it's still possible for you to catch the flu virus when having the flu vaccine. It's still possible for you to be sick with the flu, but most of the time when you're sick with the flu after having the vaccine, it's a lot less. Like think of you having, being sick with the flu for like a couple of days as opposed to a week. And that's because your body was already trained to fight some of that. So your immune system is actually prepared for it. Yeah. And this might actually be worth a quick recap of just viruses in general. So just a recap from last week and also biology. A virus is literally just code 
of how to make a virus inside of a protein capsule that delivers that code to a cell and then gets inside the cell and starts telling the cell's own machinery to make more virus Mm -hmm. so that can go infect more cells. And again, the way your body is supposed to identify this is it looks at the protein shell. It's not looking for random DNA. It's looking for that protein shell to say, hey, this is a virus. We need to fight it because we know how to fight it. But what happens in the examples you're giving is, first of all, sometimes your body just doesn't do a great job of figuring out this specific thing was a virus. And that can go back to the effectiveness. But even more simple is weirdly enough, your body can only do so much to fight off a virus. It still needs time to figure out there's a virus there and start sending an immune response. And if someone coughs in your mouth or does any number of things that delivers a large dose of the virus to your body, Mm -hmm. then enough of the virus can be present that it triggers a full-blown immune response instead of just random rogue particles getting, you know, wherever. And this actually goes back to this, like, let me bring this full circle for you. This is kind of the mask argument for why you always want to wear a mask and also how like vaccines aren't like going to be some magic end all that makes sure we don't get coronavirus because we still need to limit the potential exposure any of us get to the actual virus particles. And so even if your body doesn't have a vaccinated like full-blown immune response for coronavirus, if you're exposed to the coronavirus, even a few particles, your body like it knows that these are foreign particles. It can do things to prevent you from getting sick while fighting it so that you don't get a full-blown case of coronavirus. And this can also lead you to test positive for coronavirus antibodies even though you haven't gotten sick. But the point here is regardless of what kind of disease it is, the quantity of the particles you're exposed to matters because even when you do have that immune response could be the difference between being sick for a few days and being sick for a week and ending up in the ER. Yeah, I think I've said this before. Viruses, it's a numbers game. You can think of it that way. And actually for disease in your body, so viral and bacterial diseases, you can think of it as a numbers game. It's you're going to start showing symptoms when there's a lot of it inside of you and when it's like really mass produced in your body. And so, yeah, going back to masks, you know, masks are not perfect, but the goal is to prevent some of those particles from getting to you and getting inside your body so that your immune system has a, a better chance to fight things off. The same thing you can think of with vaccines. Whenever someone says like, I got the vaccine, I'm immune to a virus, you know, it makes you think that, oh, I'm just magically not able to catch something or like, oh, you know, the virus gets inside me. It just immediately like dies and dispels or it never turns touches. to ash like Infinity yeah. War. <laughs> yeah. And that's not actually the case when you actually go into the biology stuff. It's really that you can still catch the virus. You just don't get a disease from it. It's not actually presenting any symptoms because your immune system is doing such a good job at fighting it. Yeah. And this is also the weird thing about the numbers game, because like when we're talking about numbers here, we're talking about like, all right, we're not saying like you need someone to hawk a loogie into your mouth. But like, (laughs) so when they say like wearing a mask, it helps a make sure that you are not spewing out what are called aerosolized particles is basically your own spit and mucus just evaporating and becoming little droplets in the air that are carrying a ton of cells. Mm -hmm. Like they're just carrying thousands, millions, billions of cells in each one of these little droplets. And so when you think of a numbers game, like getting one of those droplets in a sensitive area where they can really take hold and start doing their viral thing is a big problem. But your body's immune response, like if you have even a couple thousand rogue coronavirus getting inside you, your body can react to that way more easily than it can react to millions or billions. And this is such a weird thing to think about because it's tons of cells (laughs) 
happening on such an incredibly small scale. It's like really yeah. hard to fathom the numbers game that happens inside you every single day of you just being alive, let alone the fact that there's also a like front line being fought every day to make sure you don't get sick from coronavirus or any other disease. So the great thing about the vaccine is like it teaches your body, this is a bad thing, but like your body every day is reacting to viruses it has never seen before, just in really small quantities. Yeah. Studying the immune system, it gets so fascinating and exciting, really because of that, because then your eyes just open up to, oh my gosh, all of this is happening all the time in my body and I'm not noticing this. I mean, even just when you get into like the microbes that are in your gut and, and like that's also crazy to think that my immune system is constantly in a battle with all this billions of bacteria that's on me all the time. That's yeah. just happening. Isn't it weird that your body knows how to do cell division, but you don't? And that's why I failed my biology test. There we go. Hey. <laughs> There's your joke. Okay. We landed. It was this is a prestige. We paid <laughs> off the <laughs> joke. All right. So I think we've covered everything from herd immunity to what a vaccine is supposed to do to how it actually like interacts with the same machinery that a virus would interact with to make sure we can stop it. What do you got next? You know, next, I think let's just get back into some more COVID-19 specific stuff. So I kind of went on a rant about this last episode, but let's come back to this topic. There have been people that brought up before of why are we doing safety measures to prevent the spread of COVID-19? What if instead we took away all the safety and social distancing measures and we just let the virus go its course, run through the population, infect everyone, and then we'll have a herd immunity situation? That's what they're saying. That is not what I'm saying because I say that's terrible and we should not do that. <laughs> yeah. And we talked about this a little bit last week because it's just not fast enough. It's literally like a biological process that happens so slowly that people can keep getting sick at rate that makes sure that there are always sick people and healthy people waiting to get sick. Yeah. And like, first off, if you go back to my definition of herd immunity, everyone getting an infection, that's just not herd immunity. So that's bad right there. And second, that strategy, it just would kill a lot of people worldwide. And not only from people getting sick from COVID-19. All right. You also have the case of hospitals being overrun. So let's say you let the infection run rapid throughout an area. All right. Now you have the hospitals that are overrun by patients that they're trying to treat with COVID-19, but you still have other diseases that could occur in your population. You could still have people getting heart attacks, getting strokes, getting in car accidents, all those things. And now they're not able to be treated because the hospitals and the hospital staff are overrun and they're focusing on other people. So you got to factor that into your death count. So it's just, it becomes a lot. You're, you're then, you're killing a lot of people and it's just not a good strategy. Is this an argument for natural selection? No. No, Cameron. Let's bad go back Cameron. to the gold standard. <laughs> no. This is Cameron's bad idea corner. <laughs> it's no, a new segment. No, no bad. <laughs> Don't think that. <laughs> But yeah, everything you're getting at is a serious problem, not just from a literally just staff and space and capacity. It's think of all the stuff that we normally use that are being ramped up to 11 because there's, first of all, less manufacturing because mm -hmm. more people are getting sick. And also a lot of critical, like not just PPE, we had the problem with respirators. We had the problem with just hospital staff and space. People are having a hard time finding adequate hospital staff because they are getting sick. And unfortunately, some of them are dying. So you're 
you are expecting doctors and nurses every day. Doctor, like this is not a far flung idea. This is literally our reality right now, and it has been for the past few months. Yeah, we have asked people from grocery store workers because they don't get enough love, fast food employees, and obviously medical staff and frontline medical staff to walk into a space where they are expected to. There's a hundred percent chance they will encounter the disease in that space and just do that day in and day out. In some cases to save lives, in other cases because we want our economy to just keep going when it's pretty obvious we need to just take a break. And the point I'm making here is it's not just a question of we should get everyone sick so that everyone's immune. Think of who you're asking to get sick. There's literally too much of our infrastructure that depends on people being healthy and able to do their job at the best of their ability that cannot be sustained with this level of people needing to have PPE, people needing to show up every day and pull 12 hour shifts at the minimum to make sure that other people don't die. Yeah, exactly. And and I just want to bring it back to COVID-19 in particular, because there's been there's been even a debate of if herd immunity would actually be achievable if we had done that. Like, would those things have actually happened? Would you actually be able for everyone to get immune or would people still be able to catch the virus? And like there have been studies that have looked at, you know, oh, we've looked at people who caught COVID-19 and like they've shown like T cells in their body. They showed like memory cells and stuff. So that so that makes it look like, yes, these people could be immune from the virus if they caught it later. But then I've also read stories of people that have actually caught COVID-19 twice. There was a doctor in Israel, I remember, that he specifically, he like caught it early on. And then, you know, months later, he caught it again, probably because he was on the front line and being exposed to it constantly. In a large quantity by people who are actively sick and their bodies were full of the disease. And if you would want to do this, like, let's just have everyone get sick strategy right now, that would be very risky to do right now. Like I, there was one study that was done in Spain. It was a huge antibody study. And they found that only around 5% of the population had antibodies present there. So that would mean that there was so much of the Spanish population that has not been exposed to COVID-19 yet, even though their numbers were like pretty high early on. Yeah. Those are countries where their medical infrastructure is already not under so much stress that they could deal with it. But we're still in a country that's leading in number of cases per day. So think about that. We are already pushing that number and we're not doing great. So how much more do you want to push it and expect things to get better or even passable? Yeah. So really just to kind of wrap things up, I just hope everyone listening really understands what herd immunity actually is, what the definition of it is, how vaccines work and how important vaccines are to creating herd immunity. And, you know, specific to this virus and to the pandemic, how important it is really when the COVID-19 vaccine does come out that everyone who can get the vaccine will get the vaccine so that you're able to create herd immunity in your population and you're able to protect those who are not able to be vaccinated. And on that note, it sounds like we're going to have to end. You can listen to Sample Size wherever you get your podcasts. And we do mean wherever. We made sure to check this time. We're on all the platforms. And if you go to our <laughs> website, you're going to find even more links to subscribe. There should obviously be links in the show notes for this. So if you're if your friends and you listen on their podcast because you know they're a hip kid, they know what the cool new podcasts are. <laughs> you can go in there and you'd be like, hey, send me that link so that I can listen as well. And then be best friends because they listen to good stuff. Also want to give a quick shout out to our editor, Scott Stronick. Yes, thank you. Scott, I'm really sorry if I mispronounced your last name. I did my best, but he does great work editing our audio and we appreciate him. We've got to make sure to give him some shout outs. Yes. 
And as always, if you would like to know more information on this topic, all of my sources are in the show notes. See you next time. Bye.